Welcome everyone to the Wild West podcast, where we talk to the people shaping how we think about nature, the outdoors, and California's wild places. I'm San Francisco Chronicle travel editor Greg Thomas, and this pod is a place where I'll interview adventure athletes and environmental advocates and the movers and shakers who are defining and redefining what we do when we go outdoors. This is the inaugural podcast, and it features rock climber Kevin Jorgensen, who was part of the duo that free climbed the Dawn Wall on El Capitan in Yosemite back in 2015. El Cap is the 3,000 foot uh, sheer vertical granite wall right there in Yosemite Valley, and no one had ever done what Kevin and his climbing partner Tommy Caldwell set out to do and ultimately accomplished. If you don't remember, their climb became national news at the time. Uh, Everyone from the New York Times to NPR to CNN was covering it moment by moment. And on September 19th, the feature-length documentary film of the whole 19-day climb hits theaters nationwide. It's called The Dawn Wall, and it's good. Uh, It won the Audience Choice Award at the South by Southwest Festival earlier this year. So I drove up to Kevin's home in Santa Rosa, California to talk to him just before he set out on a media tour to begin hyping the film. And we talk about his motivations for taking on the Dawn Wall, dealing with the national media attention afterwards, and how he's leveraged the attention uh, of the climb to bring climbing to underserved communities around the country, which is kind of a new project that he's working on. Quick disclaimer, Kevin was doing some renovations at his home when I visited, so we recorded in his backyard, and that means you'll hear some of the nature-y sounds of birds chirping and things like that. Uh, And there are one or two moments where I had to edit out the sound of a buzzsaw in the background. Uh, So just know that that's how the podcast was put together. And without further ado, here's Kevin Jorgensen. We are in the backyard. Yes, we are. Kevin Jorgensen's new house in Santa Rosa. (laughs) Recording this podcast. (laughs) And uh, this is where you grew up, right? You grew up in Santa Rosa? I grew up in Santa Rosa, yep. And what, uh, what was that like in terms of the climbing scene? I can't imagine there was much going on back then. Oh, it was super formative, and it's where I found the sport yeah. at, with the local climbing gym when it opened up in 1995. Okay. So, and then the coast actually is an amazing resource of rock. Yeah. Schist and sandstone all up and down the coast. Where do so you climb on the coast? Everywhere between Point Reyes and Salt Point State Park is like littered with rock. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's not all crumbly. It's like no. That's kind of what I. Well, some of it is, but not all of it. Huh. Yeah, some of it's awesome. Interesting. Yeah. And so did you, so you started in the gym, and then were you doing stuff outside, like, shortly thereafter? Maybe, like, two years after I went outside for the first time. Okay. So I was able to watch the film last night. Cool. Um, which was great. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot, um, but it was, like, it felt important also to sort of have on, on record for this climb. But one of the things that I was sort of looking forward to from it was getting to know a little bit more about you and your climbing and your career and your experience and they and it, you kind of they kind of gloss over it a little bit and so there's like you know it's focuses a lot on Tommy and his I mean he has this incredible life story with all of these milestones that are um, you know obviously noteworthy um, and then they kind of switch over and they're like and Kevin Jorgensen a boulderer from wine country moving on yeah yeah and we kind of move on <laughs> And so I, I guess I wanted to ask, was that like by design or a filmmaking choice or did you guys, do you have any kind of creative say in that? You'll have to ask them. <laughs> I had no creative input okay. in the film. And is this the first film that you've been a part of? Definitely like first mainstream style documentary thing. Like I've been in climbing flicks before, but yeah. you know, small audience. 
yeah. climb, climbing core kind of films. Right. Yeah. And so you you didn't have any. I'm just curious about like how because you guys are the stars of these, and it's especially with um, with this film and some of the other climbing films, especially that are coming out now. Even like some of the real rock shorts, mm-hmm. uh, they're just more personal and they're more narrative driven, right? Totally. Instead of just look at this sweet climb, mm-hmm. it's like getting to know the person behind the climb kind of thing. Yeah. So I just wonder how much kind of input you guys have on that. We kind of gave them full creative license and how to do it the way they thought was the best way to do it yeah um we've known those guys for a long time right and trust them to make a good movie and just kind of tried not to steer it at all you know yeah like literally i saw a rough cut like a year ago that okay. was like four hours long or something whoa and then i saw the final version that was it okay so yeah. So you didn't get to when you saw the rough cut, you didn't give them notes or something like that. Not really. I think Tommy's book provided a good template for a movie, so they pretty much just followed that. Okay, right. One of um, my favorite quotes in the film actually came from you, and I have it written down here, so I just thought I'd read Uh-oh. it. it was, uh, I think it's when you guys are scouting the route, okay, um, up the Dawn Wall, and you say, uh, "I could never tell whether we were wasting our time or pursuing something grand." Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of a. Like, really summarized, you know, and, and it sort of crystallized this whole project that you guys were working on. And so I was wondering what you kind of meant when you said that. I mean, I kind of meant what I said in that you just, especially when the project is so fresh, at least it was for me, you have less attachment. So you're looking at it with a little bit more distance and objectivity, and you can be like, is this. What are we doing here? You know, like, am I going to keep spending every October, November, December uh, for eternity on this? Or am I going to go to Mallorca finally? Because it's good in October. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, just trying to, like, do that calculus. And Tommy was doing the same thing. I mean, he gave up a couple times. Yeah. And then always came back. But I think that was always kind of in the back of our head, like, what are we doing up here? Yeah. Yeah. That sort of brings me to what I wanted to talk to you about, which is sort of your motivations um, for doing this climb, doing this project. Mm-hmm. And because, again, that's not, it's a little, it's not quite clear in the film. It's like Tommy has this sort of personal connection to the wall yeah. um, and the Yosemite. And so I'm just curious, like, what made you, what sort of, uh, how you got interested in this to begin with? The way I got interested in it to begin with is there's this recurring theme in my climbing that, um, I'll go through this process of reinvention, I feel like. And it started with climbing in comps. And then I won a nationals as a kid. And I was like, okay, done with that. And when it got into not just bouldering, but highball bouldering. And I like pushed that as far as I was willing to push it. Yeah. And then sitting on top of Ambrosia, I was like, like dodged a bullet, got away with it. I think I'm good on this whole highball thing. Um, so it was just over like that. You were like moving on. Yeah, I was like looking for something new. Okay. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty instant, but I didn't know what it was. But then I saw this clip in Progression, the same movie that featured Ambrosia, but it was it was Tommy's like early attempts on the. It wasn't even called the Dawn Wall yet. It was just this project. Just, he like at the end of the segment, he basically calls out the next generation. He's like, "You want the future? Like here it is. Come and get it." And huh. I was like, "Oh shit!" So it's kind of like right time, right thing to hear, you know, for me. So I didn't even have his phone number. I just, I think I sent him a Facebook message and asked if he needed a partner. 
with like no expectation that it was going to take up like six years of my life or anything like that. But I was looking for not just a new project, but like a whole new discipline to learn that I hadn't like spent a whole lot of time on. So, cause I was like basically not brand new to big wall free climbing, but brand new to big wall free climbing on El Cap for sure. Like I'd done half dome and need tower, some other things, but, um, no El Cap reads. Okay. Yeah. And then, Another thing that I was curious about was how you guys, you spend six years basically attached at the hip for months at a time, mm -hmm. right? But you didn't know each other before that. So how do you build that bond? Like, what if you get, you know, what if you send this guy a message and it's Tommy or it's whoever, mm -hmm. and it turns out you just don't mesh or you don't click? Like, how do you kind of work through that? It was just luck, honestly. Okay. We had climbed together one afternoon in Lake Tahoe area years prior because we were both on the Marmot team. But other than that, we only knew each other by reputation. So it could have totally been an oil and water situation. We had no idea. Okay. But I think it just turned out that like we both have an obsessive personality and uh, our strengths and weaknesses meshed super well together. Like I brought a boulder's mentality to dissecting every single move and memorizing everything. Tommy's a much more intuitive climber and he can get away with that because he's been climbing on all cap for so long. Whereas I'll look up and see what movie's on. I was like, oh, put your foot down a little bit and my hand here. And he's like, how'd you remember that? But from like comp days, I could always like in a preview, like an on-site comp, you come out and you have a, like a three-minute preview of the climb. Yeah. I'd memorize all 42 moves or whatever it was in those three minutes and be back in isolation climbing it in my head. It's okay. just something that I've always been able to do. Nice. So that worked. I kind of applied that kind of stuff to, to the wall as well. Yeah, it was definitely a, a, a shot in the dark if we were going to be good partners or not, you know? Yeah. And so it was kind of this mix. In terms of the appeal of the climb view, it was sort of this mix of, like, the opportunity to climb with Tommy, who mm -hmm. was kind of, like you said, challenging people to come and get it, and then pushing yourself and sort of looking for the next project. Mm -hmm. And then did it have anything to do with Yosemite or Big Walls or El Cap or anything like that? I mean, I've been climbing Yosemite since I was 16, and I think I was... 24 when I started working on the Dawn Wall. So I'd been climbing in the valley for a while, but just never on El Cap. Yeah. So it was always enticing, but just one thing I've learned about certain disciplines, like it's better to have a mentor than to go in blind on your own, you know? So this is a perfect opportunity to uh, learn from one of the best. And I've always been drawn to first ascents as well. Like I didn't want to just go try to do El Nino or something. Like I wanted the appeal of the unknown. Yeah. And so watching the film, so I was paying attention when this was all unfolding. Mm -hmm. And I remember when John Branch's story on the front page kind of just blew this whole thing. It's crazy. Up. Yeah. This is crazy. Um, maybe unprecedented for climbing. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't really appreciate at the time, but like definitely came into focus watching the film is that as soon as the media descends, it's like, pitch 15 and Kevin's like struggling and all of a sudden there's like national attention on this yeah the timing was unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> yeah what was that like for you because you know it was like you guys have cameramen up there and filmmakers and you know that this is going to be some kind of documentary mm -hmm. but you don't know if it's going to be like whatever like sort of a real rock like short basically or what it's going to become and then suddenly like NPR is calling and every, people are watching on the valley floor, and it's like this whole sensation. Mm -hmm. So how did that? I was curious how that affected you mentally, and maybe affected your performance. Not, I mean, not necessarily on pitch fifteen, but just in general. I think it ratcheted up the pressure a bit, for sure. 
Like it's one thing to uh, weather a personal failure. It's another to weather a personal and a public failure. And that would have been like the ultimate, like, uh, wah, wah, like he didn't do it. <laughs> so of course I wanted it regardless. Like I wouldn't have been up there otherwise, but um, it definitely ratcheted up the pressure. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit distracting. Yeah, but were you guys paying attention when you were up there? Trying not to, but, you know, you got your phones up there and you got a lot of downtime and, you know, people are sending you stuff or texting you. And mm -hmm. it's nice to stay connected with friends and family when, when you're up there for so long. So we had some idea of the fact that the story was going big, but I had never been through that before. Tommy had been through that before with Kyrgyzstan, but I'd never been through anything like that before. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was weird. We kind of had just like a no outgoing press policy after the New York Times and the NPR interview. Yeah. We kind of huddled up and we're just like, no mas, like we'll let Josh and PR folks handle everything. They can give them background and pictures and stuff, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna answer any emails or take any phone calls or anything like that. We're just gonna climb. Okay. Did it bother you after the fact when you learned about like how it was portrayed? broadly not really because i don't think people were inspired by the story because they understood exactly the style in which we were climbing the wall they were inspired by the effort itself and the feat and the nuance i think is secondary or even tertiary to just the effort itself and the feat and the inspiration and like, like people were moved they were inspired it was it was People, you got to remember, this was like the first week of the new year. Mm -hmm. So there's just, everyone's got this sense of like renewal and, you know, optimism. You know, it's New Year's. Everyone's got their resolutions and stuff. But there's a whole bunch of bad news happening. Like the Charlie Hedbo terrorist attack that just happened. Like there's a lot of bad news as well. So I think people were just hungry for a, like just a positive human interest story that people could get behind and root, and root for. You know, like that simple. I don't think it was very complicated. Okay. I've seen a lot of articles try to really break it down and assign all this meaning to why it was big. And I don't think it's that complicated. Like it was a hero's journey playing out in real time in an epic place with visually epic content coming out. And that's all it was. It's like, oh, two guys on a cliff. That's crazy. One of them stuck. Oh no. Everyone roots for an underdog and they succeed together. Happy ending. Like it's a storyline that's played out time and time again for centuries it's not new yeah it's just like a timing thing and it just happened to play out you know in yosemite everyone knows of yosemite we weren't in the bugaboos or anywhere else uh people could picture where we were and what we were doing and climbing is a pretty great metaphor for anybody's like life journey yeah so it's easily relatable yeah the flip side of this the media attention is like you guys were essentially validated in this project, in this pursuit, by all of this attention, right? Like, I was, I was just curious if that, what that has meant to you. Not like, I mean, it's obviously opened up certain opportunities for you, but just the act of like validating, climbing, and you and Tommy specifically, and this uh, project that you guys have been working on for so long. Hmm. I just wonder what that meant to you. I went into that climb relatively anonymous and I would have been happy coming out of it. It was just the same. Um, 
it was a much more like personal curiosity if we were capable of actually doing this thing and answering that question that I was after than um, getting written into the history books or something like that, you know? Because most of the time we didn't know if we were actually gonna pull it off or not. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you don't really, at least I wasn't like looking over the horizon of, of what was gonna come if kind of thing. It was just one pitch at a time. Yeah. Like a really simple adventure. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like coming down? You guys do <laughs> stand behind the podium and you do this kind of big press event in front of the lights and everything. Yeah. What'd you feel like doing that? It was that? weird. It was weird. Cause you think about like most climbers relationship with El Cap Meadow, you're like laying back shirtless in the sun, taking a nap, like just watching climbers on the wall. You know, it's like the most peaceful place ever. And then to have like, yeah, news trucks and a, a podium and a microphone and cameras <laughs> is, is just so weird, you know? Yeah, you guys looked a little out of place. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We just got plucked off the moon, essentially, and like put in a whole different world. Like the analogy I give is like, we start climbing and we think the color blue is blue. And when we come down, somehow everyone else's definition of blue is now red. It's like our reality is totally, everything has changed around us. And, and not to us so we're just like what, what's going on you know yeah like, yeah it's weird and so since the climb I mean it was three and a half years ago now it's a ages ago yeah so since the climb what have you been up to you're working on projects in Yosemite still uh -huh. big wall projects but you've also started this nonprofit, One Climb mm -hmm. and then you've also I think done some like public speaking mm -hmm. is that right yeah one of the byproducts of the media attention was that Tommy and I were invited almost instantly to give talks about the experience to various audiences around the world. So that was like a 514 effort in and of itself just to like try to not be a totally crappy public speaker, which is probably harder than climbing the Dawn Wall itself. But, you know, we did our best and like tried to try to do a good job. But I enjoy that part. I like I like looking at the experience through a different lens, a lens other than my own memory of the experience and rather how it could be translated to someone who wasn't there. And even more, like a step further, someone who doesn't climb. Apart from that, the public speaking stuff, mm -hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about One Climb? Sure. And that's relatively new, right? I mean, it just started... Well, it started one? in 2010. Oh, it started in 2010. Yeah. With the Sonoma gym? Exactly, yeah. Okay. So after the Dawn Wall, I was looking for a project that wasn't about me and something that could like outlast like this little moment in time of attention and stuff and harness the fact that all these doors were open and actually do something with it, you know? Um, so I resurrected this old concept from five years prior of putting climbing walls and boys and girls clubs because at the time I felt like and still do the opportunities for experiencing climbing are extremely narrow if you're not invited to the birthday party or your friend doesn't invite you to the sport you're not going to become your chances of becoming aware of it are slim so instead of this um, build it and they will come mentality of commercial gyms I figured why not just put it in front of where kids already are and the Boys and Girls Club as a network serves four and a half million kids a year. I'm curious what made you think about kind of 
what your approach has been to, to exposing more people, more kids to it? I mean, the thesis was pretty simple back then, and it is the same now, and it's that I think the world's a better place with more climbers in it. And I'm not a, typically a fan of, like, binary choices. So I was like, why not both? Why, why do we have to just hope that people will discover it via these climbing gyms? Why not put it right in front of where they already, where they already are? And uh, if we can make the sport more inclusive while doing so, all the better. Yeah. And so the Boys and Girls Club is a foundational part of this, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a backbone and an infrastructure that's extremely helpful. And it's not like we have um, like a partnership with a nationwide uh, organization yet. I'd love to. It's just kind of a chapter-by-chapter, location-by-location basis right now. Yeah, where have you guys gone in and what's next? Okay, so it started in Sonoma, and then the second one was right after the Don Wall in um, St. Louis. Mm-hmm. started working with Dan from Cho- uh, Sowell, Dan Chancellor. And that's when like, I found a really solid partner that could help me kind of level up this concept from something I was working on by myself to something that could go bigger. And then the third one was just installed in Los Angeles this month. Or sorry, end of, end of August, August 30th. So um, we're going to do one in Santa Rosa it sounds like, um, next year. And there's all sorts of potential coming off the, the tail end of this crowdfunding campaign we just did. So yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. Any other projects that you're working on right now that you want to talk about or anything coming up? I mean, um, obviously right now you're in the thick of Don Yeah, Ball so we've media. got the movie coming back out, which is great. Um, I'm building a climbing gym here in town, my first kind of commercial venture which has been an awesome learning experience and super fun. It's a ground-up deal. It's the only one of its kind between L.A. and I think the closest one is Tahoe. So um, we've got a great piece of land right uh, at the corner of Highway 12 and 101 in the heart of Santa Rosa, and it's going to be a big, beautiful, big, beautiful thing. And, you know, like I said earlier, not liking a binary choice. It's like... I can help grow the sport in a commercial way and a nonprofit way simultaneously. I don't have to pick between the two. And this area is super underserved when it comes to um, indoor climbing opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I've always wanted, you know, I've visited like a quarter of the gyms in the country or something like that. So just being able to apply that learning as far as where where gym design is going and what that experience is like and how we can customize it best for this community, especially those who are unaware of the sport. It's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll have an ex- another chapter as an architect or something. Like I'm having a lot of fun with that, that phase of it, like the building design and layout and everything from picking, you know, lighting fixtures to, you know, floor plan layout and all that stuff. It's totally fun. And then uh, just bought a house, celebrated our second wedding anniversary, and we have a baby due at the end of November. Life's crazy right Congratulations. now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. Whoa, okay. Um, yeah, Santa Rosa. Are you big into wine? Kind of. I mean, when people when realize I'm from Sonoma County, they assume that I know a lot about wine, but I really don't know a lot about... I mean, I know what I like to taste, but um, I don't I don't know a whole lot about more of a beer drinker i like some i've gotten into like the craft beer scene that's like kind of exploded here yeah um it's kind of fun to sample all the new 
microbreweries that are opening and stuff like that. Yeah, there are a ton of them up here. Yeah. Yeah, the restaurant and food scene up here is outstanding. It's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. yeah. It's really easy to spend all your money on restaurants. <laughs> we have to reel, reel that in a little bit. Totally. I had a few rapid-fire questions uh -oh. here that I wanted to I'm terrible to at, at these. You. Okay, let's, let's go. So when I'm climbing, especially bouldering, it's kind of this spectator activity. There's one person right. on the wall. Everybody's on the mats watching you. And people want to be supportive, and you have friends down there, and they start, you know, when you get to, like, the crux or whatever, they start whooping. They go, yeah. you know, come on, Kevin. Yeah. You got it. Let's go. Yeah. I hate that when I'm on the wall. I just can't handle it. I don't like the attention. Uh -huh. I need to be, like, focused, and that kind of distracts me. Yeah. I just don't like it. But it's a very common thing, and you guys, and it, it, in the film, you see how you and Tommy are, like, encouraging each other. Yeah. I was just curious if you have any thoughts about that. I think there's a time and place for it for sure. Like on the wall, it's just such precarious climbing. Like it's not a high energy encouragement kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, just let me do my thing. I'm like in the zone. But like with bouldering, I often joke that it, 80% of bouldering is just caring enough. <laughs> like you really got to want it. Uh -huh. It's often like way more mental than physical. So in those cases, like some loud encouragement can really go a long way. But it, I think it just totally depends. Okay. Yeah, I realize that I am alone in this, and it makes me sound like a curmudgeon or something. <laughs> I was also curious if anything comes to mind. Like, what's the craziest thing that you've ever done to improve as a climber? Oh, man, I'm a notoriously off-the-couch climber. Tommy gives me a hard time about it all the time because he trained like a fiend. Um, what's the craziest thing? I mean, I hate running, and I started running for a while to train for the tunnel until I realized it didn't help at all. <laughs> most of my training was just like on the wall. Like I needed to grow the most as a composed and confident climber on El Cap, which you can only really do by climbing more on El Cap. Um, did a bunch of yoga to get a little bit more flexible because there's some, like, some pretty contortionist moves on some of those corner pitches that you do. Any wildlife encounters on the wall that come to mind? I poked a bat in the face once, like, in a crack, and fell and screamed like a little girl, and Tommy still uh, gives me a hard time about that. Was that on the dawn wall? Uh-huh. Oh, we were mini-tractioning at night one time. On, I think I was on pitch five or something like that, and I just came flying out of the crack because I just, like, poked this. There are all these pin scars that are, like, finger pockets, and I just, yeah. <laughs> Freaked you out? Yeah. It was yeah. very unexpected. Totally. Yeah. I've come over and like little ledges and there's like a bee's nest or a wasp's nest or Ooh. something like that in the wall and you just got to kind of try to ignore it yeah i've never come across that i also wanted to ask you know in the film so much of what the process of climbing is the, the climb that you guys did was falling right yep <laughs> so much falling i'm just curious if that ever worries you it's a weird question to ask a professional climber but it, like, wigs me out. And I've seen some totally sketchy, old, rusty, questionable bolts um, on some of the routes that, I've, that yeah. I've done. So, like, the traverse pitches are bolted. But a lot of the rest of the pitches were fixed pro, like old aid stuff. And that stuff worried me more than the bolts. Mm -hmm. You know, you're falling onto copperheads and rivets that you've slung with a little bit of wire or, uh, you know, a beak. We clip a lot of beaks. So those are not really meant to be fallen on. <laughs> They're meant to be like stood on. But you adjust your expectations for like what 
good gear is after a while and just try to put it out of your mind. Yeah. But the bolts were the last thing we were worried about. Okay. We didn't clip any bad bolts. Um, if there was a bolt, it's because we put one there and it was good. Yeah. Right. But we tried to keep that to a minimum. Okay. Yeah. So I'm curious if there's anything that really stands out to you about the aftermath of this climb in terms of being just the coolest moment or the coolest opportunity that has come. Hmm. Like Obama tweeted about you guys, mm-hmm. went on Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was all kinds of neat stuff. I was just curious if anything really stands out. Oh, man. Like, those things were fun, but those memories fade pretty quickly because it's not what you, you – it's not something we strived for. Like, we didn't strive for that outcome, you know? Yeah. I mean, I got to meet Obama in Yosemite like a year later. That was pretty cool. Yeah. You don't get to do that every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably it. Thanks very much to Kevin for making time to come on the podcast. If you want to keep up on what he's up to, he's on Twitter at KJorgeson, J-O-R-G-E-S-O-N. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Uh, Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating or a review. Our music today is a track called Coming Home by Ryan Anderson, and it comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive. See you next time.